Yeah. Well, okay, this is the podcast Oranges and Peaches. Welcome. Oh my gosh, Gabby, do you know the Oranges and Peaches story? I don't think so. <gasps> oh, <God. Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> like why are yeah, why like are why podcasts? it's named that? It's, yeah. Um, I feel like Ruby might have mentioned there was like a child looking for a book, but it was a kid, so he didn't understand language. Is that correct? That's yeah. pretty That's yeah, a good way to put on. it. Yeah. Okay, halfway there. Yeah. yeah. But librarians, right, being what we are, who mm-hmm. we are, kind of tease out the like real intention behind a question mm. is the idea. So okay. it's not oranges and peaches that the kid was looking for. It's on the, it's the origin of species. On the yeah. origin of species? I think it's technically on, on the, the, the origin of yeah. species. Can yeah. a child was reading joke. that? <laughs> the joke doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It is a, is it Party Girl? Mm-hmm. Yeah, reference With, uh, Parker Posey. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like mm-hmm. in that movie, and then librarians like latched onto it, and we're like, "This is great." I wonder okay. if it's controversial, and we don't know. I bet it is controversial. What is? I don't know the the joke. I don't know. Just librarians. I don't know. Okay, let's move on. The movie doesn't hold up great. No, oh no, the yeah. movie's not great. No, it's okay. Well, there's Parker, a lot of dancing. Parker Posey. Dancing yeah, in the library. but yeah. Anyway. <sighs> Okay. <laughs> that's, the, that's the joke that forms our name of our podcast. Yeah. I love it's it. about the reference interview. I wish I came with a, like, word play where I was oh. like, I don't know how to, what I'm looking for. And you got, it could be, like, a real life version of that, but I, I didn't, oh, so. That could be nice. Dang, yeah. Yeah. But, we'll, we'll edit that back in. Yeah. Point. Yeah. <laughs> Once we think of one. So should, I, yeah. should we introduce our guests? Okay. Yes. <laughs> we are joined. Oh. What? I brushed it. Sorry. Oh, okay. We're Sorry. still we're remembering our mic etiquette. Um, we are joined by Gabby. They are the prevention specialist at the Sexual Trauma and Abuse Care Center here in Lawrence. That's Gabby, correct. do you want to talk a little bit about your job? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I work for a really great organization called the Sexual Trauma and Abuse Care Center, like Ruby mentioned, but it's the Care Center for short. And I am a part of their community engagement team. Um, My job is really unique and very exciting in that I do some direct community engagement, like education, um, you know, what we're doing today. But I also do like upstream work as well, thinking about the root causes of violence in our community, how we can eliminate those or just make a, you know, a community that's safe for everybody. Mm. So that's sort of what I work on. Um, But also sometimes I dig around our tiny office and closets (laughs) and sort of uncover secrets and mysteries. Yeah, which is the the point of this episode, which we will get to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome, Gabby. It's so exciting to have you. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you. This is my first podcast, and I feel like it's going to change my life. You're going to start a podcast after this. I literally am. So get ready, listeners. We'll link to Gabby's (laughs) brand new podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It is powerful, yeah, like having this tech at the library, which I guess is another segue that we're going to talk about today is all the different tech you have access to if you have a library card. a lot. So much, yeah. Yeah. Okay, but first. So, yeah, for people who don't know, we record this in the library's sound and vision studio. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've probably mentioned that, but just in case you're wondering why we sound so professional and good. We have really nice mics. Yeah, why our voices sound really professional. I was, yeah, the tech can't help with our our thoughts. With our words. Yeah. You know. Okay, but first let's do our updates. Okay. Do you want to start? Yeah. Um, The Seed Library is still 
going on till the end of April. Um, we have a fair number of seeds left. Um, so yeah, if you haven't visited the seed library, you can take up to five seed packets per person. Um, we have fruits and veggies and flowers and herbs and native plants. Um, and we have beautiful brochures with all of these great nature events around town. Um, and then <laughs> some Ruby programs through the library. Yes, which I... Has done a great job. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Which I kind of dumped on her and then... That's she fine. Did a very... <laughs> <laughs> Didn't complain at all. I, I've complained in my own head. That's fine. Um, no, no, it's really cool to get to see everything that's going on and, and compile it into a little brochure and then see people get excited about yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so that's still going on until the end of the month. Um, and then, Hazlitt, do you want to talk about the uh -huh. writing workshop? Yes, yeah. So on April 27th, just a little bit before the Seed Library will close, we're having um, a writing workshop at the Lawrence Community Orchard, which is over at, like, 15th and Lernard around that area. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't notice. I didn't notice. I was, I was fuzzing. Okay. Um, Anyway, so with Megan Kaminsky, who is an English professor at KU, mm -hmm. who's very cool, is a poet and uh, just a you know very interesting, nice person, and some of her grad students who like really range disciplines, and so it's going to be a really interesting workshop. It's called Listening to Place, and the way she frames it, the way Megan Kaminsky frames it, is like um, writing among the trees, like writing among your peers and among um, you know like the the not human peers of the of the orchard so um yeah a few spots are left and you know get on the wait list if you're interested because we might be able to expand the number of slots mm -hmm. that that um are available so we'll link to that in yes. our show notes yeah um coming up at the end of june we are doing the how-to festival which has looked pretty different through the pandemic but we're kind of back to the regular format where we have tons of different people outside demonstrating how to fill in the blank. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it'll be really fun festival-y yeah. uh, vibe. But right now we are looking for people with interesting skills or trades or some sort of idea that they want to demonstrate and share with the community. So um, yeah. we'll put a link to the application, but mm -hmm. um, I have, please, exclamation <laughs> point, apply. Yeah. And it doesn't, you don't have to have some sort of like rare talent or like some sort of special gift to share. It I, can be, I love the simple ones. Yeah, any yeah. sort of hobby. Like if you like to... Um, you know, like me, I just think about like darning socks, right? Or like doing right. instead of simple sewing. But if you like to like cut hair, I don't know, or like, uh, yeah. I don't know. Elon, who's one of our colleagues, uh, was like, how do you tie your shoes? Uh -huh, and really I fast. Was, I was like, I like showed her and I was like, I don't know. Is that weird? And she was like, well, this is how I tie mine. She tied her shoe so fast. I couldn't even see it. I made her show me like four more times. Cause I just, I still do not understand. And she was like, do you think people would like this? And I was like, well, I've sat here mesmerized for like four minutes. Oh my God. Anyway. Yeah. But stuff like that, that you're like, Oh, that's, that's so funny. Oh. That's so simple. But then it just blows your mind. Oh my gosh. And yeah. that's on our spreadsheet as like, as a last resort. No, now I that really want her that, to do it. Yeah. It's so cool. That's going to happen now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so that's really yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, but really anything, even if you just like, I don't know. We've had like 
sword fighting. How to write letters. Tango. Like, yeah, and then yeah. we have the kind of, like, quieter, like, yeah. writing a letter. Like, scrapbooking. Yeah. Um, like, last year we had a really good one that Megan Kaminsky led, actually, that was um, called, like, Journaling to Live. Mm-hmm. Like, how to journal to live. It's really good. Yeah, I'm excited about it. But, yeah, yeah. We, we need mm-hmm. a lot of different mm-hmm. different how-tos, so. Yeah, kind um, of a fun time. Which brings me to Gabby. I would like to ask about um, some bugs oh, going on yeah. in your life. Because Hazlitt, I like, I was like, maybe bug talk. And Hazlitt was like, I need to know what this is. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, <laughs> so I um, very rapidly developed an interest in isopods, which are actually crustaceans. They're not bugs. But functionally, they're bugs and that they are small <laughs> and they have a bunch of tiny legs and uh, they live in the dirt. So like. Like really poly. They are roly-polies. Exactly right. Oh, oh okay. Um, and I have, um, at this point, I have five colonies. <gasps> um, and I did just start this, this last like- week. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Pet World has them in stock. They're very beautiful. They're basically fancy roly-polies. But what is interesting about them is that they are marsupials. So they carry their young in a brood on their stomach. And this means that, like, right now, I have this one very prolific colony of dairy cows, which is a really I'm, social... I'm really confused. <laughs> <laughs> they're just bugs, right? But they're also marsupials. But they're also marsupials, and, and they're, they're also cow. crustaceans, and they breathe through their gills. And, yeah. and a cow. They're, they yes. have a dairy a cow, cow pattern. Oh, okay. Yes. So they don't make milk. And I mean, if I... If they did, I would have fingers that were much too large to effectively... <laughs> milk them but they might i don't know um i haven't really investigated that far what do they eat dirt um really yep they eat dirt and leaves they eat like i have some freeze-dried chicken for my cats that they go nutso for (laughs) cucumbers sweet potatoes like just whatever piece of dirt you can find they'll eat it i put in some um this is a really Wait, sorry. No, it's fat. This is like I have like spent every like ten minutes googling like isopods and just like checking. Yeah, just being yeah. like I I've already read all of these links on the front page of Google, but like maybe something else has arrived. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm fascinated by them, and they're very cute. Like they have like little eyes and little hands, and they'll hold on to leaves and like. <gasps> it's oh very gosh. cute. Sorry if that sound was distressing to any right. listeners out there. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. How big are they? So roly-poly um, size, slightly bigger. Roly-poly sized. My biggest, the dairy cows, are, which are um, Porcelio lavis is their scientific name. They're big. They're probably like, you sent Ruby a picture. They're like maybe an inch okay. long. Yeah. Are they kind of like those grubs you find in the ground sometimes? No, they're not grubbish. They're not a grub. No, they're, they're, not they're all around. They're not round all the way around. They're like round. They're on the back. top. Yeah, and then... Yeah, they have like a hard exoskeleton and um, some varieties when you like, when they're threatened, they'll roll up into a ball, but some of them don't have that ability, disappointingly. Mm. And how did you find yourself getting into isopod colonies? Well, I um, was going to Pet World with my sister who was visiting. We were just going for fun because they have the tortoises you can feed, very fun local business. Mm-hmm. And I joked about buying a worm, if you could buy a worm, and then I would set it free. Hmm. And they don't sell worms there, um, but they did have just piles of isopods in these, like, deli containers. And I immediately was like, 
wow. And then my sister was like, you should get some. And I was like, no. And then I was like, in my head was like, file that away for when I'm (laughs) laying in bed at 2 a.m. to research obsessively and then went back the next day and like bought a Tupperware container, stabbed some holes in it with a paring knife. Not very Uh, safe. Would not recommend that. Okay. Filled it with dirt, some leaves, Uh, some sticks, and just threw these bugs in there. And that's the colony is the Tupperware. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are you planning on expanding the colonies at any time into, you know, luxury quarters of any sort? I would love to get this some. This is my campaign. I keep trying to get them to get, like, fancy homes. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Get they, a little. Right. Like. Like a dome or something. Yes. I would love that. They um, They have to have ventilation, right? Yes. It's kind of the tricky. They, like, need okay. it. But you can't just have it open. Yeah. Because they'll climb out. Yeah. Well, you can't have it open. They can't climb glass. Okay. Oh, okay. But I have cats that yeah. would be very interested in scooping them Merle up. Merle would be snacking for sure. Oh, yeah. I was setting up. One of them is in like a fancy. It's like a um, acrylic produce container that has like the ventilation on the top that you get at like. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a Tupperware that's acrylic and then it has like a little slot that you can open to like let air out for food. I, I don't know, but it's okay. We can continue. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've heard they're great at keeping produce, um, but it's, like, fancy looking because it's, uh-huh. like, a, like, bougie kitchen equipment. It's, like, don't use plastic bags oh. to store your lettuce. Like, put them in this fancy box. Oh, okay. I was setting it up on the ground and putting some of my bugs in there, and Merle, my cat, was, like, very, in, like, kept, like, tapping the side of the <laughs> container and, like, yeah. staring intensely at them. So, yeah. yeah. I'm afraid of having open containers for that reason. So some of them have had babies already or they came with babies? Both. Okay. Yes. And do you think they're scared or are they happy? I think they're happy. I mean, I think they were frightened at first. And I have one um, family, one culture that I haven't really seen a lot of. And I think that they're mm-hmm. um, either they're just a more secretive like, you know, <laughs> culture or, like, they're stressed out. But um, I have three that are vibing and thriving, and I've, they've actually been um, – I don't know. Can I say that they've been kissing on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, the they've bugs. Been, they've been yeah. making love, yeah. Yeah. On the and, Which I'm assuming is because they're happy and they're, like, feeling comfortable to mate. I hope so, yeah. Which is, they just, like, one of them rides the other around for, like, hours. It's very cute. <laughs> not like, like, it's not like, <laughs> they, like, it's it's not like um, a reproductive act the entire time. It's like a social, like, the Still male, like, hanging out. taps around on the, like, female's yeah, back and, like, hanging out. like, curls around her head like a little hat. Cute. Yeah, it's very fun. Well, Okay, this is I, fascinating. I really feel like this would be an excellent how-to presentation. It would be great. And maybe you could even bring they're, a they're colony. they're pretty portable. Yeah. 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 That's very true. Just, like, haul some bugs, like, slam them down on the table. Be like, gather no. around kids. <laughs> very well received, I think. Yeah, you'd have a lot of children, <laughs> and you'd have a lot of parents. And a lot of adults. A lot of ad- adult oh, yeah. parents who were like, why? Why are, are you, you? why are you doing this to my family? Well, you can find them we'll anywhere. Have bugs now. Outside. Yeah. So like, yeah, I feel like if I were to give children the knowledge, they would just be turning over rocks and like, like yanking, yeah. collecting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a good practice anyway. That could be a how-to. How to turn over rocks. 
And, yeah. And like <laughs> find, find bugs. Find bugs. Yeah. It's yeah. tricky. You got to get in there sometimes like a spade or right. something if they're really stuck in the loam. Got to get a good rock. Yeah. yeah. Maybe um, I'll, I'll apply. Yeah. Bring my bugs around. Yeah. Okay. I love this. Um, um, do you have any care center updates? Wait, wait. <laughs> I have one more question okay. about the bugs. Um, are there any benefits to them besides they're just cute? Yeah, so they really? are great. Um, they're detritivores, so they're like nature's decomposers. Oh, and they're like compost. Exactly. Oh my if God. um if somebody keeps like some types of reptiles or other insects, they mm. can they're really essential to maintain like a biodynamic terrarium environment because oh. they so they can kind of live with Somebody else. Exactly. Tank. Okay. Yeah, not all isopods. Some of them are really surface active, so then mm. the lizard would eat them. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are some that are more secretive, that burrow, that are fast. And those are really great for, like, yeah, breaking down, mm. um, like, lizard droppings, droppings detritus, or, mm. like, old food scraps and aerating the soil. So mm. they are very detrimental. Um, my enclosures are just for fun. Like, there's nothing in there except the isopods, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, and they they're um, in nature. They they're very um, important to like as a part of that decomposition crew. Nice. But if I put them in like a garden, they'd probably eat everything up. I think it depends. I think that they prefer to eat matter that's already kind of decaying. So okay. like I put in a spider plant baby in one of the enclosures because they have moss, and I thought that would be a good way to root it. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the leaves was, like, brown. Like, it was already starting to die. And they, like, ate that in, like, a second. Wow. But the living plant, they haven't really investigated as much. So. This is very, very interesting. I feel like they could be kind of <laughs> making your, like, compost for you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just put them in the pile. Yeah. Can they survive in cold weather? Probably I not. I don't think so. I'm not sure, actually. Really poly survive. Yeah, I think that it depends on the, like, species, like, your garden variety. Well, another thing is that a lot of roly-polies are not native. They were introduced by, like, colonizers way back when, when they brought over creepy collies. Uh, No, I don't—I think, like, accidentally, yeah. yeah. Um, So I was actually turning over rocks in my yard like a lunatic the other (laughs) night, like— Headlamp on. It was dark out. And I was, like, in my pajamas just, like, crouched over, like, digging in the dirt. And um, it was cold, and I didn't find any. And so I was, like, do they burrow Mm. deeper? Do they go probably towards, like, get down to where the soil's still, like, warm? Exactly. So I don't know how. But I know that the ones in your house, like, which I have, like, fancy varieties, like I said. So they need to have, like, at least 60 degrees to, like, thrive. Mm. Yeah. I just feel kind of overwhelmed with this knowledge. I feel like there's a lot now. of ideas to yeah, like the whole there. Yeah. episode. I don't know if I can go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's fair. I mean, I will have, what I'll say is that I do have, as I said, many babies. Uh-huh. And they have been lovemaking all, all week and long. So there will uh-huh. be more babies coming up and in two to three months they will be mature adults so if anyone here is interested in having their own culture i will have many bugs to to rehome yeah i'm gonna have to yeah you think on it yeah i have to think on it i'm trying to get rid of an animal right now from my house oh no No. still (laughs) 
Who said they were going to take this cat? Okay. Was it Megan Kaminsky's friend so, or something, maybe? Maybe. Yeah, we've got to move on. But okay. um, if anyone out there <laughs> needs um, kind of a cranky old tortoise shell who's very loving but really only wants to live with one human being and no one else, um, send me an email. Yeah. All right. Do we have Care Center updates? Um, I don't have any updates. I mean, I do have a couple of updates as well as some historical, some down dates, I guess, would be the opposite of an update, <laughs> like a look into the past. Uh-huh. Um, so an update is that we're celebrating our 50th year. Yeah. We've been in the community, yeah, for a very long time. Um, and there are lots of exciting changes on the horizon. Some that have already come to fruition, like we just created a new advocacy position for court advocacy. A court advocate. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so, like, lots of organizational changes, but also just 50 years. Very exciting. It's um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so long. A long, long time. It is a long time, and it's definitely sort of um, creating this introspective, like, process, I think, for the organization where we're like, wow, we've really been in the community for a long time. But, um, you know, obviously the folks that are working there now are not the founders. Mm-hmm. I Ideally, I mean, I don't know what their lives are like, but I hope that they're, like, retired and relaxing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so I think it's really, like, triggered this, like, how do we, you know, shepherd this, like, really incredible legacy, like, decades of history and decades of survivors being helped um, and preserve it and make sure that it's accessible for, like, our community, um, for our organization. Like, I think it's important to know where your organization started, right, so mm-hmm. that you can, you know, move forward and and respect that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I have some <clears> – a little, like, brief – a history briefer, Ooh, if you yeah. want. Yeah. yeah. Should we get into the – should we get yeah, to the question? Yeah, this is kind of yeah. like the, the – Meat of the episode. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how about, do you want to pose your question that we're going to kind of be discussing? Yes. And then, yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah. So my question is that, you know, we have so much physical ephemera. We have so much like, um, like relational history, like the founders are still alive. They're still in the community. We have these just piles and piles of physical material how do we preserve it and digitize it and collect it and organize it in a, you know, in a way that is um, kind of, again, like stewarding the legacy of the care center? That's my question. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a big, yeah. big question. <laughs> yeah. Or investing, yeah. like, Philan- there's so many, you know, how do we just, like, build that that stewardship? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I I kind of want to start with the the little history okay thing and then we can dive into like the different ways that the library can help support that work. Yeah, or kind of yeah, like the degree to which the library can be involved in something like that and then the different sorts of resources you would draw on as an organization. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, I the history kind of segues nicely I think into that. Um so <clears throat> if you don't mind, I'm going <laughs> to this is me like that was supposed to be a sound effect for like unrolling the scroll. Yeah, it was I good. hope they got it. Yeah. Imagine that, everyone. Yeah, just like a like medieval, just <laughs> rolling across the floor of the Sound and Vision Studio. Okay, so um, as I mentioned, we've been around for fifty years. The Care Center was founded in 1972, um, and we were founded initially as just a nameless 
um, group of volunteers, mm-hmm. um, primarily students and community members who were connected to the um, KU community. Mm-hmm. So when we were founded way back when, um, it was in response to a series of sexual assaults that were happening on campus and the university wasn't responding in a way that the community felt was appropriate. There wasn't really a lot of support for the people who had experienced those assaults. Mm-hmm. So we were just like a very classic 70s, like beanbags, rotary phone, like three <laughs> volunteers in a room. Um, and uh, we were actually the first um, rape crisis center in Kansas. Wow. And one of the first in the nation. I think Whoa. we were one of the first four and the others were on the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really unique that like, you know, in terms of the Midwest, like this organization was progressive, like from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's also interesting about that is that we shared a hotline with, um, KSPHQ, formerly known as headquarters. They were started around the same time. And so for a while we shared the same phone, um, and they were doing suicide. Well, actually at the time they were like, um, a really, um, it was just like a general (laughs) crisis line, but like, Mm. I've heard, I don't know if this is true. So KSPHQ don't sue me. (laughs) I've heard that they would help people who were having like um, negative drug experiences mm-hmm. oh. and like be there for them to call and uh-huh. just like have like somebody who like is, um, you know, sober who can walk them through the process, which uh-huh. I think is neat. Mm-hmm. So we were really scrappy at first. Um, what's also another sort of side note is that also in Lawrence, the disability justice um, movement was really popping off around mm-hmm. that time too. So that's mm-hmm. when we saw um, like the self-advocacy Advocacy Coalition of Kansas, SAC, was, like, starting to become this, like, prenatal project around that time. Lots mm-hmm. of cool stuff happening in the community. Cool. Yeah. Um, in 1978, we were incorporated as a nonprofit formally, and we adopted the name The Rape Victim. Um, oh, no. I don't know the acronym. RVSS. Rape Victim. Rape Victim Survivors. Victim Support Services. That sounds right. It's in this box. Um, (laughs) uh, And again, like we were um, still essentially the same volunteers, beanbags, rotary phones, you know. (laughs) Um, But, you know, since then, we've really morphed and changed a lot. But um, I think what's remarkable is that we started as a really survivor-centered organization directly responding to the needs of the community and we've maintained that um, even now, 50 years later. So um, in 2004, we changed our name to the Gadigi, um Center and we expanded programs um, beyond just that advocacy and response hotline into things like, um, you know, expanding youth services. We developed an anti-bullying program that was um, really one of the cornerstones of our curriculum for a while, like mm-hmm. youth violence interventions. Um, therapeutic services. We have three therapists on staff now, and that started way back in 2004. Um, We expanded to Jefferson and Franklin counties, like serving those counties. And then we also really started to think about prevention and education. Um, So yeah, that's kind of where we're at now. But um, we've still changed quite a bit since 2004, of course. (laughs) We changed our name again to the Sexual Trauma and Abuse Care Center in 2015 to kind of like more um, holistically um, reflect what we were doing for the community mm-hmm. as opposed to Gadigi, which was a Cherokee word for healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it caused a lot of confusion. People didn't know how to pronounce it. They were like, what? 
what do you do? So, um, you know, we kind of revised our name once more. Um, and we've continued to be on the cutting edge, like I said, of, of survivor-centered support programs, but also of um, on education and prevention programs. A lot of our curriculum has been around for years, like the Safe Bar Alliance has been around for over a decade at this point, but we just recently revised the curriculum for the first time in like five years and reprinted a bunch of materials. Our youth educator, Layla, who's amazing, um, she's been doing work in the school for like in the school district here for several years, but continues to build new partnerships like every day. So mm. sorry, I'm breathing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we, we are just like always kind of trying to push the limits of what one is allowed by funding, mm-hmm. um, but two, like what um, the community needs. So again, like that really upstream work that I've been doing lately that I mentioned at the top we're getting involved in things like housing in the community. Um, you know, we've been really working hard to try and revise our city's policies so that housing is more accessible because we know that that's a risk factor, mm. um, not just for sexual violence, really for all types of violence, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're also helping the county um, sort of uh, convene and, and implement the anti-poverty plan because mm-hmm. we recognize, you know, the connection there. So those are sorts of um, really, like I said, like cutting edge, like, um, sexual violence prevention uh, perspectives and programs that like this tiny organization of 13 people in Lawrence, Kansas has, which I think is really remarkable. Um, so with all of that being said, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I said, we've been around for 50 years. We do a lot of stuff, but our office is probably like 800 square feet. Um, we are very small And yet, in spite of that, we have so much material in the office. Um, We are preparing to potentially move to a new location, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, it's our 50 years. So those two things combined have sort of spurred this, like, clean-out effort. Mm -hmm. And um, I was going through this just absolutely cavernous closet that we have (laughs) And was just um, finding like piles and piles of newspaper clippings, um, a box of unlabeled VHSs, old brochures, event flyers, curriculum guides that Hmm, are almost um, painfully outdated now. Um, So I just found all of this stuff and that's sort of what you know, brought me here was like, oh my goodness, like there's so much here. There's so many blanks to fill in. Um, What can we do? Yeah. I feel like this is, it's an interesting crossover between like people's personal lives and the kind of lives of organizations where Mm. we all kind of end up with like the closet that's jammed full of stuff. And then, yeah, when you're in that kind of like transition period and you're trying to downsize a little bit and clean stuff up, I feel like that is a really crucial moment for making sure that you're not losing those archives and those, you know, pieces of your history that you really do want to hold on to. Um, It's very sweet. Right? Yeah. I, I, you know, and for an organization like the Care Center, like there is a lot of... um, you know, like importance, like a lot of sort of communal importance to preserve and make sure it's accessible for people to, you know, to see, which is not necessarily the case for a personal history, even though, yeah, you know, you know, even though <laughs> we, we, wish it, we wish it were. Yeah. But 
Yeah, I think what's interesting is that there is this aspect of not just stewarding the organizational history, but also the history of all of the survivors that have been, you know, um, strong enough to um, reach out to us when we were just like three volunteers Mm -hmm. on beanbags. Um, to the survivors who have come to us and helped us create the programs that we have today. You know, like we're also shepherding people's personal Hmm. um, histories. And uh, yeah, I I don't want to lose that. Even though, again, some of it is like painfully outdated curriculum or (laughs) mysterious reels of film. Um, You know, (laughs) attached to all of that is this real sense of like community history. Like these are people um, that like these physical artifacts were made by people that have these like really powerful stories and healing journeys and histories that we kind of um, have the task of, of preserving. Yeah, totally. So should we get into, um, yeah. into well, the library? I think there's two options. Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Well, well yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I think to, to kind of frame the discussion of how the preservation can take place, there's sort of two things to keep in mind, mm-hmm. which are one, um, so digital records are actually much more fragile than physical records, mm-hmm. which is often a surprising thing to learn. But because like digital formats are always changing, um, right, and can become corrupted in ways that, you know, if they're not like... Um, kept sustainably or like maintained on a regular basis, then they can become inaccessible in a way that is like impossible to recover Mm -hmm. versus a paper record that you like, um, you know, you you put into a collection of some sort and then you put it in your archival like uh, acid something box and then you put Mm -hmm. it in an archive where it's like labeled and, you know, people know it's there. Like that is actually... uh, I think still considered the more sustainable and like safer option for archival materials mm. for paper paper records. Right. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And yeah. <laughs> and then um, the second thing to keep in mind, like as we start this discussion, is that digitization is like a really labor intensive process. Yes. So yes, yeah, which we will talk about with all of the different sort of um, kinds of ephemera. Yeah. That were in that in that closet, in that little office. So, yeah, yeah. I think too. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we'll get to the options that we have as we as we like dig some stuff out of this box. Gabby showed up <laughs> with a with a lovely um, rolling crate thing yeah. filled with stuff. Um, so I know that. Um, our listeners cannot see us, but we will do our best to describe and let you kind of hear. Um, yeah. Yeah. The hear sounds. The, the digging. I kind of yeah. want to take a picture of this crate too for people because it, it's, you know. I did take some pictures. I okay. think, I I think like, we can include pictures in our show notes. Show notes yeah, I'm pretty absolutely. sure. Yeah. So yeah. we'll have some pictures of some of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Y'all are welcome to take a picture of the crate and things that are in it. None of the stuff that's here is confidential it's all it it always like public facing at some point cool yeah so um yeah Yeah. and it's it's very like disorder like I told Ruby and Hazlitt I spilled when I was walking here and I was (laughs) like oh god like stuffing all my stuff back in there yeah so it's it's truly a mystery box absolute chaos no organization yeah you will 
I'm sure have, it's like going to be like doing one of those like fake dinosaur bone, like toy Uh digs. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's like a whole different sort of topic in archives, which is, I don't think we, I don't remember totally. So we don't have time to touch on it more, (laughs) but like the, the sort of argument between like an archivist deciding what order things should go in versus preserving the original order of things. So you might have just destroyed it something when you spilled well (laughs) it's i mean you know i this is like i found a box and then i put that box into another box and then i put that box into this crate so there have been just absolute destruction of beautiful valuable history um i guess maybe in that migration process here right yeah oh well it's a debate anyway yeah you know it's fine okay i want to i want to look at what we have okay so should we start with the... Can we start with the paper? Yeah, there's more paper on the bottom. Okay. I don't know... Do you want to also... I'm so far away from my <laughs> mic. Do you want to also dig some stuff out, Gabby? Yeah, I'll, pull, I'll, I'll, I'll do some yanking. Okay, cool. Here. Would you like to hold this? Sure, We've yeah, thank some, you. got um, some paper... What would you call these? It's not a brochure. Well, it's like a little booklet. Uh, no more silence. A forum. Is it like a event? Yes. I, I believe that that was an event that we did not um, host, but that, so pre-internet, and that's kind of what you're holding too. Oh. Um, you know, we couldn't um, connect people with online resources. So right. organizations would publish things that they would then, you know, we would buy as an organization and keep on hand for our staff or for clients. So Hazlitt has this like tiny mini binder that is, Mm -hmm. um, again, not care center material and that we did not create it, but it was Mm -hmm. what our advocates used. It is um, a companion guide. So it's basically like, here's how the law works when you're doing things like filing protection orders. Mm. Um, Here is how, uh, you know, a sexual assault nurse exam works. Here are police um, yeah, like the layout of a police station. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So it was, again, like pre-internet, you know, um, wow. folks were just three hole punching left and right, I guess. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of pamphlets. Um, we used to, I have one here. I wish I could share with the listeners the graphic design. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, Very yeah, interesting. Yeah. We've got papyrus font. I was I was gonna ask if that was papyrus. Right, and on the spiral, mm-hmm. in a, a very slim. It's not bold by no. any means, and not no. centered. No, it's a really interesting choice. Yeah, I think for you know, and we we actually don't have a graphic designer now, but we did just hire um, a communications a director of communications, Megan Engelman, who is my boss, who is. Um, wonderful and has a very good aesthetic sensibility. So this is truly history. <laughs> um, but yeah, lots of, I also have some newspaper Oh, um, from relatively recently, um, but um, we've got a history here of when we opened new locations, newspaper mm. from the University Daily Kansan from 2014. Um, there was a... Um, once again, unfortunately, um, a 
sexual assault that happened on campus that was um, mishandled by the university mm. and the students responded with a, a bunch of protests, which is wonderful. Um, and that's actually when the Sexual Assault Prevention and Education Center on campus was formed oh, because great. of those protests. So mm. we have papers from that happening. Um, curriculums, old curriculums. We did a jazz night that I've got a flyer for. Oh, yes. Um, we used to do plays. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, so... As a fundraiser or as an educational thing? Not, I think both. Okay. I'm not totally sure. Um, I think we had a grant at one point to do, like, creative, like, art. Um, mm. Whoa. Like, therapeutic art, and, uh -huh. and we primarily did plays. Um, cool. And I believe, actually, that that grant is what funds my position today. Wow. Huh. Oh Sorry, you all can... Can, uh, just there's so much descendant of the yeah theater. So I think I don't know. I'm I'm just thinking about linking this to the library and the way that I mean the way that we relate to the community more generally in the offering of of whoa, tools whoa. and spaces and less like we can't tell you what you should throw out or preserve or or kind of consult on that but right. it's like we have scanners we have you know we can give you advice on like where um you know where to what <laughs> there's like distracting paper going on yeah. um yeah on like how to how to scan where to store files something like that but yeah, it's this very, like, structural, logistical support. Absolutely. And um, I think that's, I mean, I feel like, you know, that makes sense. Like, you don't want the, to, to tell the community story. You want to give the community the tools where they can tell their own story. Totally. Um, which is what we need as an organization that does not have, as I mentioned, um, we have an 800-square-foot office and a scanner. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Hazlitt uncovered some of that outdated curriculum that I was referring oh, to. Oh, yeah. Earlier. Is that what this is? This. Uh, yes. It was actually, I think, K-State yeah. um, developed that. That's what it says. Yeah. I, I don't know if we were using it or if we just, like, um, had the paper. Right. I see. But it is yeah. another graphic design. Some bold choices were being Some made. really bold choices, yeah. It's called, um, this brochure is Top 10 Problems with Dating a Wolf in yes. Sheep's Clothing. Not uh, actually about wolves. No. Yeah. No, you can date a wolf. Disappointingly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm seeing a a, a big orange mm -hmm. film um canister going on over here. Ooh. Yes. This is a wait, I have some film reels too. It is um Centron Films, which I don't think exists anymore. Um uh and it is I don't know what's on here, but it is labeled not only strangers. Um and I believe hold on, I want to flip this over. That it is a 60 millimeter reel. I'm just guessing based on the fact that those were typically used for educational films. Right. Um, and yeah, that's there's no other information. Not Only Strangers by Centron Films is a film <laughs> reel. Mm. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, film reel. Just destroying valuable history. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, because when you digitize a film like that anyway, you have to fit it into plastic sleeves. So it would all... And you'd have to cut it up even. No. So, Yeah. For our scanner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a sort of tray, I think. That's what I, w I was just looking at it online. Yes. I think, though, for something longer, like 16 millimeter, you can 
just slowly feed to it slide through. It through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It would, yeah. Instead of destroying it. Which, what we're alluding to is, <laughs> I think it was two years ago now. I could be wrong. It might not have been around that long. Um, we were able to um, launch a digitization checkout um, collection. So we have... Uh, we have a flatbed scanner that you can check out, but we also have um, film. I, I forget what its name is, but it's like a little film digitizer yeah. tool that will digitize. Wolverine. Something. Lots of different formats. Um, so yeah. I have noted, uh, let's see, 35 millimeter, 16 millimeter, Super 8, 110, um, all kinds of stuff. Um, so that's a really cool because those are very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so you can check that out and digitize yes. uh, your film. And then we also have, which is so popular, it's always checked out the VHS digitization kit, which is, I mean, it's like a, right, a VHS it's like player. A big, yeah, yeah. VHS player. VCR. Um, but yeah. yeah. And the, and those materials are interesting because tape. Okay, I'm not an archivist, right? We, we work here, but my understanding is that um, tape and materials that, like, play audio or play video are much more vulnerable to, like, various environmental factors. Oh, yeah. Because both, like, the equipment they use to play them can, like, you know, go out of fashion, like, become obsolete. And then it's impossible to, like, even get the equipment you need to, like, wa- like access the stuff that's on the thing. Or there's, like, something with... Um, some sorts of tapes that like they'll degrade and then they'll stick together mm-hmm. and it'll, you know, bec- that become unusable in that way. They can mold. They're very They're sensitive rot. to temperature. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like digitizing them is like a lot more important. Yeah. I, yeah. I um, actually embarked on a personal digitization process a while ago, which is I had a camcorder with oh. the like mini, the DV tapes. Oh, oh yeah. cool. Um, but I couldn't, and I was doing a bunch of like, I was a film student, so, you know, like, pretentious yeah. undergrad film <laughs> DV oh tape projects. But Fun. it was fruitless because I could not find anywhere that would digitize that oh. for me affordably. So I just had a bunch of footage on DV tapes. And what Aww. I ended up doing was <laughs> um, recording using a digital camera, the tiny camcorder screen of footage. Nice. And then editing that into what I was making. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was a really um, creative yeah. solution, but yeah. certainly not for something like, you know, like I mentioned, we have a bunch of VHSs. There's um, this one. It's a female thing, which was a, a educational Incredible. video. Okay. As I said, some things are very painfully outdated. Of course, now we do not uh-huh. say this. Yeah. Um, but, to, and tapes are very vulnerable to, to rot, to temperature. Etc. So, yeah. Okay. We are, we are already know, but the listeners might not know. Yeah. No, yeah. We've told them. Yeah. Um. And then I guess we want to talk about the studio, right? Where you can like work on your. Where we are now. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, um, Gabby, you mentioned that the care center founders are still with us, mm-hmm. and that's something that folks have done, um, in in our studio. Um, is, you know, yes, you can record your, your band, um, but you can also, uh, record oral histories. So, um, the option to sit down with 
the founders or current staff um, and get some of those perspectives recorded, um, which is, I think, one of those things you don't think about until you don't have the option anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, it can make for a really cool, um, just kind of rounding out and giving context to some of the materials is actually getting to ask people like what, what was it like in the early days? Yeah. And like, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's super important, you know, cause those, again, I mean, maybe the most fragile of all <laughs> are our own memories own and memories. relationships. Yes. That's, see, now hit the enter button here. and we'll put in a sound effect there. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's, and that's great to know. I mean, this is a super valuable resource. This is my first time here. So for the listeners, as an objective third-party non-library staff member, <laughs> this is an official setup. It, there's a lot of really um, amazing technology and yeah, I absolutely will take advantage of this and tracking down our, our founders yeah. and their stories. Right. And we already said, right, all the sorts of things you can do in the studio. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm kind of, uh, I feel like. I mean, I can do a little, I don't think we talked about like, yes, there's there's audio recording, mm -hmm. but then we also have a few like little, little cubicle rooms uh -huh. um, that they are soundproof. So if it's just you and you want to record audio, that's a good option. We have folks that record um, audiobooks, actually. Mm -hmm. Um but they also have um, editing software. So they have the Adobe Suite. I think they have some sound editing mm -hmm. stuff, all those programs that are very expensive to yes. buy on your own. Yeah. Um, you can book time to edit your, your film, your, you know, your photos, sound recordings, all kinds of stuff. So mm -hmm. there's that like editing and production process too that you can do here. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I feel like we're... Working on a podcast-specific yep. setup? Yeah, so we're in the studio right now, which is for, like, full bands, yeah, basically. Yeah, it's pretty big space. And, and where podcasts used to be recorded if you had more than one speaker. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, logistical issues, blah, 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 have meant that adding a new podcast room that's just dedicated to spoken word is in the works and I think we have equipment for it. And I think next time we're going to record on it, actually. Cool. Which, yeah, test we'll it out. Test it out, yeah. Um, yeah, so all sorts of things you can do in the studio. It's really, um, you know, we don't have a maker space at our library. What we have is this sort of really um, dedicated space to sound and mm -hmm. vision um, where you can work on all sorts of different projects. So, yeah. Um, do you want to touch on the Digital Douglas County yeah. History Project? Because yeah. we've talked about a little bit, like, how do you get the things digitized, but then it's, um, what do you do with them? <laughs> Just kicking the crate. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you've got all these scans. Um, now um, what do you do? Yeah, sorry. I feel like I totally lost the thread of what we were doing because I was just <laughs> kind of scandalized by some of those materials. <laughs> and, 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 you know, anyway. Um, yeah, so so coming back to the focus. <laughs> so, there, so the different kinds of materials we've seen so far, right, are like tapes, paper, is that all so far? And um, I guess tapes and film, you kind of... And film, yeah. yeah oh, okay, okay. I also do have a t-shirt. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. I know. Okay. So, yeah, and then and then we have different sorts of things in paper is the idea. So I saw, like, an annual report in my 
in my stack. I'm sorry. I'm sure we already said many of these things, but I was a uh, yeah. There's some that it's like handouts, yeah, pamphlets, yeah. yeah, play. Yeah, there's a lot there's of like different types of paper. Yeah. yeah, yeah, lots of flat. Yeah. Stuff. So 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 yeah. So at the library, there's um, a database that we sort of manage. That's in partnership with the Watkins and with the Douglas County Historical Society, mm-hmm. right, Ruby? Um, called the Digital Douglas County History Portal. Um, And it's meant to be a public-facing repository of interesting materials (laughs) that are related to Douglas County in some way, interesting historical ephemera. Um, And it... I don't know what its sort of data limit is or what its sort of limitations are, like, regarding um, format. Like, I know that we only have... We have TIFFs in there right now, and we have PDFs. But I imagine that it's Omeka. I imagine Omeka can host um, video, too. But because it's meant to be a sort of repository for all of Douglas County, you know, for for all of sort of, like, local history and especially, like, user-generated history or the sort of, like, you know, things you find in the closet mm-hmm. that are, like, <laughs> are special to you and you're like, well, will anyone else be interested in this? Like... D- digital Douglas County history is actually a place to put some of that stuff, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, if it's of wider interest to mm-hmm. to Lawrence and, and Douglas County. Um, so, so I guess for you, that like a step to do would be to go through sort of the paper materials and think about like what like um, like what selection of these has wider interests, like what which like which items could I submit to digital Douglas County history that like tell a story about the organization or that like, you know, shed some sort of light on Lawrence or Douglas County at that time. Um, I think about two. Yeah. And the, I mean, we talk about newspaper archive every single episode. Uh Oh yeah. Uh, We love it so much, but the, the sort of social use of newspapers has changed a lot from like the mid 20th century uh, until now um, in that obviously lots of newspapers have gone out of business, but also the kind of like early, early 20th century uh, nosiness of local newspapers has kind of gone away. Okay, Ruby, I have to tell you something, what? which is that I, a friend was showing me a newspaper <laughs> that for some reason she's subscribed to. I uh-huh. think it's like a Northwestern Kansas newspaper. I don't know why she she lives in Kansas City. I don't know why she's subscribed to it, but it has those sections <gasps> that are like so-and-so, like you know, still? went to so-and-so's party. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> well, I feel like my theory still holds Maybe like, in, like small. generally. Yeah. yeah. But all I was going to say is that we use newspapers for that, um, for our research, but as that has kind of fallen away, we are more reliant on those kind of, uh, tons of papers in a closet type mm. archives to yeah. kind of fill in those blanks that, yeah. you know, like, everyone's social calls are not necessarily being recorded or even new organizations opening up are not always right. making it into the paper um, in a way that like the, you know, the preservation of newspapers is, is a pretty solid yeah. process, but yeah. yeah, I think that they just aren't including as many details as, right. as you might get. 
Well, and that leads into a different sort of archive that we also have at the library, which I don't know if you know about it already, Gabby. But so we are part of um, a program by Archivit, which is the division of the Internet Archive. The program is called Community Webs, and it is... I think all sorts of memory organizations participate in it, and it is archiving the internet. I mean, it's the internet archive, but Mm -hmm. it's archiving. It's like local organizations that are um, handling the archiving of local websites of some importance. So, so, I mean, a lot of that stuff, like, you know, reconstituting social life. Right. (laughs) Or like, yeah, um, you know, watching as new nonprofits spring up or, you know, pandemic, like, rages or, you know, local politics or that sort of thing that is not necessarily captured in newspapers in the same way. Right. We're getting captured online websites. Yeah. Which has so many problems. I mean, like Facebook in particular, Facebook and Instagram change their like uh, the way their websites work all the time in a Mm -hmm. way that makes it hard for the Internet Archives crawlers to like get in there and take everything we want, just like capture it. So it has all sorts of issues (laughs) issues that <laughs> will be resolved you yeah. know hopefully at some point but um yeah I mean I would imagine some of that is intentional yeah oh I'm yeah sure. on the part of uh, right yeah. exactly oh, yeah. to oh, yeah. to um instead of creating you know I think this is like not related to my organization. My boss is going to listen to this and be like, you talked about bugs for half an hour and then you like oh, talked gosh. about like the internet and like how it's changed. Like what is That's this, how this podcast goes, It does, honestly. yeah, listen to the yeah. other episodes. Yeah. Yeah. But like I, I feel like, you know, thinking about, for instance, like there's materials from the early 2000s um, because we had a really robust we we just expanded in a lot of ways. And I'm like, so much of that expansion was probably charted on the early internet mm-hmm. because that was, um, you know, domains were very accessible. Social media was like, if it existed at all, was, was very like, yeah. Yeah. Um, not like super <laughs> privatized. Yeah. You know, Sorry, like, um, uh, and so I think like, it's, fascinating to think about how so much of that information is much more publicly accessible, but then as third-party um, c- companies, these, like, massive companies like Facebook or Meta, I guess, um, <laughs> started to develop, now all of that information is technically theirs. Like, it's it's owned by them in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I can imagine that they would create intentional barriers for that information to become accessible mm-hmm. and um, document, like, documented outside of their their uh, companies right. platforms yeah which is another sort of question that is a, is is related to the work that you all would be doing archiving which is like you know when this is a discussion we have a lot with the web archive right it's like when people post something publicly on a social media platform are they granting their permission to us to archive it for right. who knows how long mm-hmm. um or to make it like accessible immediately to the public in our archive like don't know it's a really thorny ethical question and it's the same with you all that um you know these things that were made to be public facing, like less challenging, right? Especially if they're like older, like 40 years old, you know, it becomes like easier to say, okay, we can add these to our archive. It's, you know, but like the things that aren't your organizations that like just the organization was using because they were materials from, you know, somewhere else that that could be put to use. It's like, okay, do those, right? who do they belong to? You know, like, who, like, First of all, are they being archived somewhere else so we don't need to actually replicate that labor or uh, duplicate the labor? And then second of all, like, yeah, there's still copyright involved. Right. right? 
Yeah, I, I actually, this is um, interesting. I, I had a friend, Zoe, who has a pretty significant internet presence whose selfies were stolen by an mm. artist. And this was like a big thing. Someone may be familiar with this. It was like a story, but some, a selfie basically, or an artist took her selfies and printed them as a part of a gallery. And it was like Whoa. this, you know, like, oh, is this is this public facing? But um mm. It was it was um, obviously uh, not not very um, thoughtful in the way that it answered those questions because it was like yes, and I think a lot of it was rooted in misogyny to the mm-hmm. the exhibition. But like, anyways, yeah. thinking about like, yeah. yeah, when you share something on the internet, who does it belong to? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. um, and trying to respect those intentions, not wanting to archive materials right. that aren't yours to preserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And not just, yeah, it's like, what what permission are you granting, right? Like, because you still yeah. have the copyright, even if you just write something on Facebook, it's like, or on Twitter, right? You own your your little tweets. Right. I think. I don't know. I guess that's my don't understanding. At, okay. <laughs> Bringing it back to being librarians. We are not law experts. Oh, it's true. Okay, we cannot it's true. give you it's legal true. advice. We don't know. That's true. We can refer you. We just think about resources. it a lot with the but archive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's true. Yeah. We Okay. There is a lot of interesting legal. There was like that the ape who took a selfie, and it was like mm-hmm. then they published it, and then like I, some some animal advocacy organization oh, sued like, the publisher and was ooh. like the monkey owns this, okay. which I'm like yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, um, we will link to all of our yeah. um, things you can check out to digitize. All of this stuff that we yeah. all have shoved in, you know, drawers and closets. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, and we'll link to digital like, kind of history. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think we've we've gone over time, so we should. Sorry, everyone. Okay. No. Oh my no, gosh! No, it happens every time. Do not apologize. No, no, no. no. Yeah. So let's let's do uh, do, let's do what we're reading. Yeah. 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 So okay. our last little thing. You want to go first? Gabby, did you did you prepare a, uh, a reading? I, I didn't, but I can just share. Hold on. I have to get Google to make sure I get the author's name right. That's very nice. Usually um, I don't say a name. That's smart. No. Okay. This is why we have show notes. It's not smart enough for anything. Um, I've been in a book re- recently in that, like, I've been trying to read a lot of books and none of them have really stuck, but mm-hmm. I picked something up. It's a book called The Library of the Unwritten by A.J. Hackwith, and it's a very... Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fantasy book about a librarian how that manages um, unwritten stories, stories that haven't yet Ooh. been put to page. Um, and it's sort of outside of my normal reading scope in that I wouldn't typically read something that's just kind of like straight up and down fantasy um, it, or, or like not like dystopian or depressing or like upsetting in some way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've really been enjoying it. It's very readable. Um, and, and I love the setting of a library in hell. Um, that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've been enjoying it. Cool. So, yeah. Good. Rec. Very, yeah. Very on, on theme for the library podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> and you. also about preserving. Right. Yeah. Sort of mysterious ephemera with, with questionable ethics. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm, I like it. You want to go next? Sure. Um, I I read a book. I know that every time I say I haven't read anything. You're always is, reading. It's just, I'm always reading for a class. Yeah, no, I read yeah. a book that I, I was not told to read, um, and I don't know how I came across this book. It was just on my shelf in my house, hmm. um, and it's actually like an advanced copy, so it has a lot of typos. Hmm. Anyway, uh, but the library has a, a normal copy of it. 
Um, it's called Bobcat and Other Stories by Rebecca Lee. Um, this is the first book in a very long time that I've picked up and just could not put down. Mm. Um, I was reading it in the bath. I got very pruney because I couldn't stop reading. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, but it's a series of short-ish stories that they're, like, they share some characters and perspectives throughout, but um, they're just really, like, snarky and funny and kind of making fun of this, like, um, academics who host a lot of dinner parties and kind mm-hmm. of, like, gossip about each other uh, vibe. But, yeah. Um, she has only written one other book, and it was before this one, and she has not written anything since. So it's so it's worse. kind of sad. Yeah. Was going to be my new favorite author, but... She can still be your favorite. That's true. Yeah, Even, you know. Yeah, you just reread. I have this one, and then I requested the other one through Interlibrary Loan, which I'll link to, because you can borrow stuff from many, many other libraries all, all if we don't libraries. have it. Yeah. yeah. Which is very cool. cool. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. What are you reading? Um, well, okay. I've been, I, I was in a reading rut for so long, which we discussed many times in the podcast. And then lately I've just been reading so much sci-fi, just like, mm-hmm. so um, like I spent all weekend reading the second book in the Ancillary Justice series by oh, Anne Leckie. Yeah. Have you read it? Yeah, it's great. Oh my God. Anne Leckie's a legend. Yeah. The first book was so good. And then the second one was like Ancillary Sword, I think. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it as much, but you know, still very good. And now I'm reading Ancillary Mercy, which is the third one. Um, I guess I should describe it, right? It's like about <laughs> um, artificial intelligence and empire. Mm. And um, it's called a space opera mm-hmm. is the is the term, which I don't really know what that's supposed to mean. I didn't. So when I hear space opera, I think of like really grand political spanning generations drama. And I don't, I've only read Ancillary Justice. I haven't read the others, but okay. I felt like that was not the yeah. case. I think it, at least for me, like I was more... It, it didn't feel like I don't really like like generational like huge stories, and it mm-hmm. felt like more manageable. But maybe as the series expands, I don't know. I don't. Mm, I don't know. It's pretty much all in the same sort of time frame. It's about mm. the same character. So interesting. But every you know on the cover it says like the space opera we've been waiting for. So anyway, mm. maybe it's just branding. <laughs> um, but it's it's really good. It, it does some sort of interesting things with gender and. Um, world building you know it's just mysterious it almost like has the momentum of a mystery as you read it so Mm -hmm. it's a it was really good and then but that's sort of the thing about the second book is you figure everything out in the first book and then the second book doesn't present as many new sort of things to figure out so yeah I find that that's the problem with a lot of like sci-fi series like if you've ever read um, the Southern Reach trilogy. Mm-hmm. The first mm-hmm. book is like really mysterious and motivating, and then the second book takes a totally different turn and mm. is sort of less um, like exciting because the, everything has already been established and it is starting to answer questions that I feel like I was like, oh, I actually was like fine. Yeah. No, I didn't want to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ruby recommended that to me after I like couldn't stop talking about Station Eleven. Yeah. Um, you should read it. It's, I it's read great. it. I did read Annihilation oh. and I liked it okay, but I didn't feel compelled to read more of it. Have you looked up the photo of of the tower that actually Ooh. exists? Oh, like, no. In real life. It's somewhere in like Italy or something. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. That like the author based. Oh, the, cool. Yeah. No, I haven't. very creepy. Oh, look. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. But so the other book I'm reading is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, I think, which is about how like trauma is held in the body and the sort of like changes that happen in your brain when you undergo trauma. And then I'm not to this part yet, but the last part of the book, right, is how you can kind of like the sorts of 
um, healing practices you can do to uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, to kind of release the trauma from your body and from your brain. Hmm. So it's very popular. People like that love is, it. Yeah, I get um, asked about that at the desk yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's like required reading almost when you start working at the care center. Is but uh-huh. I am very bad at reading nonfiction. So I listened to approximately 45 minutes of the audiobook and was like, I don't <laughs> yeah. remember what I heard. Yeah. And then was like, you know what? I There's a Wikipedia page out there for me somewhere. Yeah. Well, the writing is very dense and yeah. it's not, I mean, it's but it's dense in the way that he kind of reframes things over and over again that you've already read. Mm-hmm. So which is, you know, which is a, a way to get information across, but it could have been more succinct and conveyed the same stuff so Mm. yeah 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 um mm -hmm. okay yeah all All right right. well thank you again gabby yeah it was really great to hear from you so much i understand if you have to cut the stuff about the isopods no no are you kidding talk (laughs) yeah joel cannot cut that even if it's like an hour and a half who cares no we're keeping the bugs in that's the most important part that's true yeah (laughs) yeah i agree i think if there's anything that I learned from this podcast, it was just me talking about bugs. And I would I would feel that the listeners might think that's the most valuable part. I think as well. that could be your new podcast. It's the ISO podcast. <gasps> oh wow. <laughs> that's good. And it's just me being like day day seven of the dairy cow culture uh-huh. um, i feel like you i could saw get them crawling across the exactly microphone, like yeah feet. they could be involved like yeah they could be involved i did <laughs> make a tweet about putting like rushing to put on a clerical collar so that i could marry my isopods when i saw them starting to do like pre-mating <laughs> oh, rituals i see so they would yeah so i feel like i can build some like do some world building with like i'm like tracking yeah. their family oh my like, gosh drama just and, narrativizing like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Being, Gabby, this I know. Is really exciting. I don't think it would be interesting to anyone except for maybe us in the room. But if you're listening out there and you have a passion for pods, that is isopods, not pods. I mean, I guess pods and pods. <laughs> yeah. All types of pods. Um, let me know and we can collab. Yeah. All right. I'm excited. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Tune in next month for another episode of Oranges and Peaches. Find the show notes on lplks.org and don't forget to subscribe. And please rate or comment. You'll help others find the podcast. Our info librarians are Hazlitt Henderson and Ruby McKinnon Love with theme music and editing by Joel Bonner. This has been a production of the Lawrence Public Library.